0: Bob Lone used the expression the first time this week. He talked about in-house evangelism. Um, who believes that part of our job as the Church of Jesus Christ is to see people one to Jesus Christ? Okay. Now, many years ago, you'd do all sorts of things. You'd have uh, a circus tent. You'd go out into the middle of, middle of Minawarra Park or something. you make lots of noise. you put leaflets into letterboxes. Bring... Anybody ever done that stuff? It was just me old. People that did that. I think I've knocked on every door in Armadale a couple of times over, and we used to do all that. And over years, that method of bringing people to Jesus seems less effective. Amen. Less effective. And I remember this church uh, some years ago through uh, Pastor Peter Ferguson would often go down to Joel Street Mall, and they would have some music and a guitar and they would do gospel shouts, and they'd preach the gospel. Anybody remember that? Scenes in their life. Well, that has also become a less effective means of bringing people to Jesus. The world has changed. Internet, mobile phones, the world has changed. So part of what we have done as a church is try and think about how do you win someone who lives today? Not yesterday. Not 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, but how do you win someone today? And so part of this whole thing of cafe and the play center is about in-house evangelism. So I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, we will have real, live people who don't know Jesus Christ in our building over the next six months. I can guarantee you, And they like us. They want to be here. In fact, they're going to walk around and say, what are you about? Why do you do this? Is this a God thing here? Tell me who God is. They're going to ask those questions. I'm telling you the truth here. (laughs) All we need is for people to be here to answer the questions. I guarantee you. So I'm hoping that as a church we're about to remobilize ourselves onto a slightly evangelistic footing, but we're doing it a bit different, and that's by getting you to contact really with real-life people, and be nice to them in the name of Jesus, and let them ask questions. You won't even have to preach the gospel to them; they will ask you the questions. Why do you do this? Why do you open up this sort of stuff? So I think that's exciting. Oh well, some some people do. I. Personally, I think it's exciting. So, dear Jesus, we want to sow good seed into the soil. We pray, Lord, for a harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. Build your house, build your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, Kerry Busby is now a counsellor. So, it's now Councillor Busby. So... uh, I think that's a nice thing. I don't know if Gillian's quite so pleased. (laughs) Not so pleased. She's all right. Uh, Next uh, Sunday, we have that incredible thing each year where we celebrate our AGM. It's not that exciting, is it? Who loves AGMs? Because if you do, you need prayer. (laughs) Now, uh, I have prepared our AGM report and it's 20 pages long because we try to provide something that if you are interested in nuts and bolts stuff, you can actually have a look at the nuts and the bolts. I find lots of people just want to get in the car and drive it. Uh, they're not that interested. But if you are interested in the nuts and bolts, in order to save us photocopying and killing off three or 4,000 trees, the AGM is posted to our website. And you can download it there straight away when you get home if you really want some interesting reading. So we'll have a number of ports available next Sunday for those who really like. But we don't want to kill too many trees. And so it's available to you in downloadable form. Okay? If you don't have a computer, then we will have some hard copies for you. And there will be a PowerPoint presentation that will just focus on the macros. Is that okay? You bring your Bibles to church? Some people brought their Bibles, and now we're going to possibly continue uh, a little bit of a series. Which, uh, when we started, I didn't really even see where we're going because we ended up in the story of Joseph, and it's ended up being more of a focus on the story of Jacob and how families can be difficult, and there can be failure in families, and yet God can work His favor, favor on the most difficult families, and it's not taking that interesting thing. So if you're with us for the very first time, uh, you're coming on to the end of a series. So I'm just going to give a brief recap so you know where we are on the journey. Uh, We would have explained to you in the first time that you came here that the book of Genesis actually is a library of multiple books. There are first-hand documents that have been compiled into one book by Moses some years later, after some of these other manuscripts are written. And this is known as a Toledeth inscription. If you go through, you can see within the book of Genesis, this line, which comes across, say, in the NIV as, this is the account of, this is the account of, these are the generations of. It's the same word. And so when we get then to the final uh, manuscript in the book of Genesis, it reads in Genesis chapter 37 that this is the story of Jacob. It's about Jacob's family. And whilst it includes the story of Joseph, we've seen it's also included the story of Tamar and Judah, something that was quite bizarre. And we get involved with all the messy stuff of this particular family. There are dreams and disaster, betrayal, slavery, immorality, and then there's deliverance of the people. And what we're trying to work out is that there's a big story going on. It's Jacob's family that God has a plan. And this is a story of how God wants to take a group of nomads and turn them into a nation, a group of uh, brothers who are fighting with each other, even their very names. If you go through and you look at Reuben, Simeon, Naphtali, Asher, Gad, Dan, you look at their names, they all speak of the family rivalry going on. No, Rachel's the favoured wife because she's more beautiful than Leah. But Leah ends up with more babies initially. So she's now sticking her nose up at Rachel saying, I'm giving all the babies. And then Leah stops having babies and Rachel has a baby. So Leah says, now you can have my concubine because I don't want Rachel to get ahead of me. So the concubine starts having babies. And so Rachel says, well, now you can have my concubine and it's just a mess. And out of this mess, God wants to build a nation. Twelve princes are to come out of these guys that lie, cheat deceive, plot the death of their brother, put him in a pit, sell him to slavery. Who reckons this has got problems? It's a messy family. It's high on dysfunctionalism. And yet here's the miracle power of God that he's weaving his incredible ability to actually bring about his plan and his purpose. Friend, you are on the face of the earth today for a purpose. It's to advance the purposes of God in the universe. You're not here for an accident. You're not here just to enjoy the journey. But God has a plan for you, whether you're Jacob, Judah, or Joseph, or us. God has a plan. and He's using the story of Jacob and Joseph as the shadow that shadow of the greater reality that one day will be expressed in you and I and in God's final kingdom upon the earth. If I was to ask you today that if Julia Gillard rang up the churches in Armidale and said, the truth is we've done our best, we've run out, run out of tax, the carbon tax is not going to get up, we can't get any unity in the government between all the particular parties and things. We've got no money left for hospitals. We've got no money left for schooling. No matter what we do in the school systems, the kids still can't read or write. They can't come out with values. That we can't seem to do anything to solve the drug problem amongst our youth. Su- teenage suicide is on the rise. Um, a mental illness is on the rise in our society. We give up. We can't do it. And we give the church now the responsibility to look after Armadale. Now, I would love that idea. I would love that idea. In a small way, we are slowly spreading salt and light into the universe. But who knows if that really happened, the first thing we're going to have to do is sort out ourselves. We look at us as a family and You know, we're just one expression of the Church of Jesus Christ. We're not the best expression, God forbid, that we'd ever use that sort of language of spiritual pride. We're simply one expression of the kingdom of God. And, you know, Kelmscott Church of Christ and the Congregational Church and Sheltering Tree and the Catholics and the Uniting Church and the Anglicans at St. Matthew's were all different expressions of the Church of Jesus Christ. Our first problem is going to be how we're going to get anything done at all (laughs) because we're all at different levels and different understandings and different revelations. And so we would say, God, how can you ever let people rule and reign given the damage that's in the family? Given how dysfunctional we are, even at a local church level, as a macro church level, how are you ever going to build a nation? How will you ever build a kingdom? Well, the good news is Joseph's story, Jacob's story, tells us that he's going to do it anyway. In spite of our brokenness, hallelujah. In spite of our failure, God's still going to build his kingdom. In spite of our humanity, God's still going to be king. In spite of it all, God is going to have his way. He will build the nation. And one day, in the fullness of time, a cube will come down from heaven, of which there will be 12 gates on it, And each gate has over it the name of one of the children of Israel. Hallelujah. They get there. So, But this morning I want to particularly look a little bit more at the story of Joseph. This is the story that most of us are more familiar with in this particular uh, scenario. And I want to just pull out a couple of things, but just basing it around the whole idea of the coats that he wore. The first coat that Joseph was given in this story is the coat of many colors. And I think we've got a video there, Connie, have we? This is more for fun than for spirituality. But is that okay? We don't want to get too super spiritual in church, do we? I mean, don't you think it's just amazing that in the 21st century we're still making musicals about a family as broken and as dysfunctional as it was that was 3,000 years old? Isn't that a bit amazing? There's something about this story that still speaks to the uh, heart of the human condition. And so... Joseph was given this coat of many colors. And so the first coat that we often have to deal with is the coat of destiny. Joseph is born to rule. Joseph is born to reign. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, if you've taken that step to make him your king, then I want to tell you something today that you are born to reign. You are born to rule. You have a destiny upon your life. Yes, you may get some antagonism. Maybe your brothers, maybe your sisters don't see the dream that God has for you, but God has dreamed a dream for you. And it's for you to rule. It's for you to reign. It's for you to be the head and not the tail. It's for you to be above the circumstances and not below the circumstances. It is for you to have victory no matter what you face. You were born to rule. You were born to win. I'm not saying you weren't born to have no struggle and no trouble, but I'm saying you're born to win. You're born to rule. You're born to to stand over your circumstances and to exercise dominion in the name of Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to be open to revelation that will change the way that we behave. Lord, may you open up our eyes to see spiritual realities, truth that will set us free, insight that will get us in contact with reality born from you, we pray in Jesus' name. There's a code of destiny. We are born to rule. But there's also a code of integrity. Later on in the story of Joseph, he has this uh, situation where he's now in the house of Potiphar. And he's been placed in charge over Potiphar's household. And uh, his wife is now attempting to seduce him. And so here's the invisible test of character it's a sin against Potiphar. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, Joseph says. This No one is greater in this house than mine, than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing in sin against God? You see, when it comes to the nature of sin, the first of all, it's a sin against Potiphar. It's an injury against another human being. Then it's a sin against yourself, because you deserve better than to fail. But ultimately, it's a sin against God. It's a sin against God. And I know that's not popular these days to even use the word sin. We want to talk about salvation as something like healing and getting happy and whatever. But there is a holy God who has standards that we are expected to obey. And that should be the thing that changes us, that motivates us. What will we do in the invisible place when there are no eyes to see? How will we behave then? In order for you to to achieve your destiny to rule, you must learn how to wear the coat of integrity. You must learn how to do the stuff in secret of how do you respond in the secret place when you are tested and stretched. This is something that is not popular in the Church of Jesus Christ today. It's something that we don't like to do. Uh, At present, I'm lecturing uh, leadership at the State Bible College, at Harvest West Bible College. And uh, we have a group of students. I would say that their average age is about 20. They are young. They smile, have great smiles. They're enthusiastic, Um, but I don't know how much stamina they have. I don't know how much hardship that they can endure. I hope they have a lot, but I'm wondering because they struggle to get to class regularly, struggle to get to class on time, struggle to put in their essays, struggle to show any really diligence to their essays. And I just had this theory that you need to be faithful in doing what you're called to do now before God will ever give you something bigger or greater. I think that's written in the Bible somewhere. And we seem to have a generation now that don't like to work. They don't like hardship. They want the air condition at the right pace. They want their... Latest iPod, whatever. And I want to tell you, friends, that the symbol of Christianity is not a cushion. We've got great seats here. But the central symbol of Christianity is a cross. And it's an invitation to come and die. Christianity is an invitation to come and give up the self-life. The self-life. There's too much uncrucified ego in the church of Jesus Christ. The secret to life is to die before you die. Oh, did some of you get what I said? The secret to life. Can I put that in? Can I put that highlight that for you? Can I put that in capitals for you? Can I put that in there? The secret to life, real life, the life that Jesus said is to die before you really die. Trouble is, I meet mean, some people have already died. They've just not been buried yet. They're dead on the inside. They're locked up with ego. And if I can just get the right toy, I'm going to be happy. If I can get the right relationship, I'm going to be happy. If I can get the right bill paid, I'm going to be happy. And they're still alive to things. And they're not yet alive to God who satisfies entirely. Psalms 34 verse 8 says, A taste and see that the Lord is good. Roger and Kath Bale are aprists, hey, Is that how you say Beekeepers. Keepers of bees. Yeah, they look after bees. And uh, Kath just turned 21 again last week. So fantastic. They keep bees. Now we could get these experts on bees to come up and talk to you about honey the rest of their life. They could tell you that it's a sticky substance. They could tell you that it can come out in different colors depending on the the different pollen it's coming from, which trees it's coming from. They could tell you that it's very healthy for you. They could tell you that it's the one food I believe that cannot go rotten, doesn't need refrigeration, doesn't need um, preservatives, And you can leave it open to bacteria and it will still be pure. They can tell you all sorts of things about honey so that you could intellectually be an expert on honey. In fact, you might even get a PhD in honey. But you know what I want to do? Is I want to dip my finger into the honey bowl and I want to put it in your mouth. And then you'll understand honey. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, have you tasted Him? Because He is good. It's not here that you've got to feel it. You've got to feel it here. Taste Him here. And so the test of integrity involves doing hardship. In Psalm 105 verse 17, there's this long recount of the history of the people of Israel. And it gets to this part about Joseph where it says, then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave and there in prison, they bruise his feet with feathers, putting his feet in irons, and they place his neck in an iron collar. And then it says, until the time came to fulfill the word, the Lord tested Joseph's character. One version puts it, an iron came into his soul. There's a code of destiny. God wants to bless you. He wants to lift you. He wants to promote you. He wants to give you a wide place. He wants you to be able to wear the right garment, but he also doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to test you first and understand, are you right in your heart? And so what will happen is for most people, that is going to come via the hard road, not the easy road. It's going to come through the hard lesson of life, not the easy lessons of life. It's going to come by you being put probably in a prison somewhere, in a restricted place, not being able to do what you want to do. It's going to come out of pain. It's going to come out of difficulties. And I know this is not what we want, But there's only one way to get to the other side and that's to let God do his work in our heart. It has to be accomplished in here before God can do it out there. Could you imagine what would happen if Joseph went from the pit directly to the palace without the word of God being tested in his heart? you imagine what it would have been like then when he's the most powerful man in the known world today has the armies of pharaoh at his command and then he sees his brothers walking into the camp instead of him moving in forgiveness and sh- forgiveness and trust building again it would have been whoosh, off their heads they would have gone and that would have been the end the end of the destiny we would no longer have a tribe of the line, the line of the tribe of judah because judah would have died So God needs to temper us. He needs to shape us. He needs to form us. And he does that through character building. Character building. And when I say character building, you're all pretty happy about character building because that sounds okay. But when I say character building means, I'm going to say an S word. I'm going to say an S word in church. Suffering. Hey, don't preach about hard things. Don't talk about that. That's not what we want to hear in church. What we want to hear in church is how to get healthy, wealthy and wise and have a happy with marriage and all those sorts of things. But there is no way to get character by having it cushy. If I take a baby and from the day that it's born, I give it everything it wants. The moment it cries, here's the dummy. There's the new nappy. You want something? There's a YouTube that's gone viral right now around the world. YouTube is a video. There's a 16-year-old girl in America, and mum and dad have gone out and bought her a brand new sports car. I mean, it is just some luxury thing. I don't know what it was, but it's a pretty nice, and it's red. And so they've got uh, the brother on the video camera videoing this, and uh are bringing her out because it's her birthday. It's her birthday. And she comes out. And this is what she does. She's 16. And she has a dummy spit because it's red. How dare you? Don't you understand? I don't want a red one. How could you be so cruel to me? She is having one major cow right there. She is going off her face, and the parents are apologizing, saying, you told her, sweetie, that you wanted a red one. No, 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 don't you ever listen to me and stuff. And you're thinking there are kids who are dying of starvation in the world, and here's a 16-year-old who was, and the, and the brother's saying, give it to me, give it to me, he's not helping it at all. <laughs> Friends, we will not ever get to the place where we can reign unless we train. Who would love to have a six-pack instead of a keg? Who <laughs> would love to, well, girls, don't put your hands up. No, no, no. <laughs> you, you know, we'd all like to have, you know, the magic shape, wouldn't we? But who knows, that doesn't come about simply by standing at the refrigerator. It doesn't happen that way. It takes some work. And God wants to use you to run the world. He wants to use you to run galaxies and cosmoses. He wants to use you to look after angels and cities. He wants to use you. But are you ready? Have you got character? Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says this, Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Say, Paul, you're an idiot. That's what he writes. We rejoice in our sufferings. But he goes on to say, Because we know that suffering is, Produces perseverance. So if you've got something hard facing you, you should be saying, Oh, thank you, God, it gives me the opportunity to persevere. And if I persevere, guess what God does with perseverance? He turns it into character. Not characters. The church of Jesus Christ is full of characters. We need less characters and more character. Hallelujah. And character then produces hope. And it's a hope that does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we need that coat of perseverance, the coat of integrity. And finally, there is a coat of victory. When he's in the prison and he's then told that Pharaoh wants to see him to interpret a dream, he changes his clothes. And before it happens, He starts to walk in his new reality. And when we are then get to that place of some character in us, we ought to just stand up and put on the right clothes. I am a son of God. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I am the head and not the tail. God is going to give me influence. I will be salt. I will be light. I will believe what God's word has said about me in my heart. I've settled the promise of God in my heart in the dark place, in the prison when I couldn't move, when I was bound by chains. I settled it there, what God said about me. I settled it in my heart that God would do this. And so dressed for the palace. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Joseph said to his assembled brothers, as he's now revealed his true identity to them, he says, Don't be afraid. I am, in the pla- I am, in, am I in the place of God? What you intended to me for harm, God intended for good, to accomplish what's now being done for the saving of many lives. The things that we go through, guys, are meant to change us and shape us for a purpose. And that purpose is, is that through that, God can use us for the saving of life. God can use us for the saving of other lives because God has worked his processes in us. It brings about humility. It brings about a reliance upon his power and strength. It brings about a confidence in the word of God. It gets born in the hard place and unpacked in the good place for the saving of life. These things we do that others may live. God means it for good. Friends, whatever you've faced in your life, I want you to know that God meant it for good. Whatever you face, faced, God meant it for good. I know that for some of you, that's going to be a jarring, that's going to be a shaking for you, but God meant it for good. You need to know God meant it for good. Pain is simply our all addiction and bondage Comes out of our inability to let go of pain. When we go to other things to solve our pain, we'll be left in the broken place, in the demand for more. Ultimately, God wants us to put down our pain. What do you do with the burning coal that's in your hands? Put it down. (laughs) If you know. That eating, I don't know, tripe is going to make you feel quite sick. Don't eat tripe. Stop it. Don't do it. Learn and surrender. It's not a word that we use. It's going to get the musicians up a lot. But ultimately, one of the greatest breakthroughs that will ever happen in our lives as a believers is when we get to that hard place and we say to Jesus, I surrender. I give it up, Lord. I surrender. Total surrender is the place of acceptance. It's a place of God. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't understand the circumstances. But I surrender to what it is. And now I'll let you work in me. You can begin to unpack that, begin to move forward. Total surrender is something that we don't do well. And I wonder what it will take for some of us to learn. It's the only answer. How long would Joseph have been left in jail before he came to that place? Of saying, God, I'm going to believe your word. The, the text doesn't really tell us. Psalm just, Psalms 105 tells us that he was there until the word of God had tested his character, that the character had been formed. We don't know how long Joseph was in prison. Could have been two years. Could have been five years. Could have been seven years. Whatever. I wonder if he'd been quicker at surrendering to the purposes of God. Surrendering to what God had said is true about his life and embracing it. One, if it got out quicker. I think it would have got out quicker. So many of us in prisons, we may not have physical chains holding us back. We may not have uh, you know, a neck of iron around us. But we may be in a place where we still don't like the fact that we're in this relationship. Or we don't like this. We don't like this. And we're complaining about our history and we don't... And all the hate and the hurt and the bitterness and the pain and the agony. Hey, who knows? Joseph went through some bad stuff. He went through some very bad stuff. He could have been bitter and really nasty, the whole thing there. But he got to a place where he says, God, I'm going to believe you and I surrender. And in that something set him free. So that when he came to the place of power... He was able to use it in a way to save his people. You know, as Pentecostal churches, we love power, don't we? We'd love to, we'd love to see the power of God here: blind eyes open, people walking, you know, out of wheelchairs. We'd love to see that, wouldn't we? But what if we get the power before we get the purity? What's going to happen to us? We're going to do what it's happened many other times in churches where there's been revival and stuff. We just blow up and hurt ourselves. God wants us to grow through the hard times. Sometimes what we do is we want to run from the hard times. We want to actually, you know, drown our sorrows in escapism or a bottle or a drug or in a relationship. Instead of saying, God, I surrender to you. That's important. I'm not saying you resign to the circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we surrender to God. I surrender to you, God. And when I give all of myself to you, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all my fears, all my anxieties, somehow, God, you come through. There's light in my darkness, joy in my sorrow, and it comes through. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing that song, um, Open the Doors. So I think the word surrender is in that song somewhere. Somewhere there. So let's just sing. Lift up your hands Open the doors Let the King